Coming up on The Exam Room. I know this year in particular, there has also been a ton of research pointing to the health benefits of coffee. Yeah, you know, the more we look at coffee, the better it is. And remember, the quickest way to transform a two calorie per cup beverage into a 2000 calorie beverage is to put all the sweeteners, creamers, dairy products, etc. in it, even some of the non dairy sweeteners and non-dairy creams and sugars and whatnot are also very caloric. So I tell people to drink it sort of the way it comes if you can, which is just a uh, black cup if you can do it. Maybe add a little bit of unsweetened soy or almond milk or something like that. But by and large, it continues to prove itself as a beneficial substance. It's antioxidant rich. It's filled with all sorts of flavanols and other active compounds. And it seems to improve outcomes from a cardiovascular perspective. And you can actually get away with quite a few cups. There's been studies showing, you know, somewhere between three and seven cups a day. Now, seven cups a day for most people will make them really jittery. Uh, so you don't need to drink that much. But, you know, feel free to indulge. Just don't ruin it uh, with the traditional sort of coffee shop favorites. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Toledo, Ohio, Garden Grove, California, and Tel Aviv, Israel. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 62 of season 6, number 458 overall. And if you love to dive headfirst into nutrition research, you consider yourself to be a nutrition nerd, then this show is for you. Because today we have the biggest health studies of 2023 so far with Dr. Andrew Freeman. He is a master of staying on top of all of the breaking nutrition research that seems to bombard us constantly now. And we've got some really exciting findings to talk about today, including what you just heard about. The big time health benefits of coffee. There's a pretty robust conversation there. Also, the latest on nuts protecting against cancer, even though we know that nuts are themselves loaded with fat and obesity is a big time contributing factor for the risk of cancer. Also, eating to add, get this, 20 years to your life. A diet to add at least 20 years to your life. The latest also on the artificial sugar debate that's making all kinds of headlines right now. Plus the latest on dairy, because now there's even more research showing that eating milk and cheese increases your risk of not just cancer, but heart attacks and cardiovascular disease as well. Plus really interesting conversation, especially from a physician here. Hearing Dr. Andrew Freeman talk about research showing that there is a way that you can eat that can cut the need for medication by more than half for the average person while also simultaneously avoiding what they call catastrophic spending on medical bills. Because what's the point of living a long life if you're going to be in the poor house and the sick house on top of that? A lot of people wonder that very question. So this research that Dr. Freeman and I will be talking about really zeroes in on that. 
Such incredible stuff, so much to get to, a really full, full, full show today, so let's just dive right into it. Of course, Dr. Freeman will also be speaking at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, August 10th through 12th in Washington, D.C., where he's going to be presenting even more of this incredible research. But right now, here is an amazing preview of the biggest health study so far for 2023. Dr. Freeman, thanks for being here, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Man, how much do you get giddy for all of this research? Because when I said that we're sitting under the learning tree and it's bearing fruit, I actually think that's a big time understatement. Well, I, I would tell you that first, the vast majority of us docs know very little about nutrition and uh, the headlines, they don't reach us. And so I'm always extremely excited when I get to see studies that check out some of the things that I've always been curious about. And so every year there's a gigantic amount of nutrition pub uh, publications. And my goal is to try to pull out the good ones and share them with everybody in a concise high yield way. So that's my goal this year as well. Oh, we got some gems to talk about here today. Just a little preview of what it is you're going to be speaking about at the conference. The headline for your presentation, by the way, the year in plants 2023 latest science reinforces the plant-based lifestyle. And I guarantee that a lot of the studies that we're going to be talking about here today are the very ones that have been splashed all across headlines worldwide. So let's start with a big one. There's been a lot made about sweeteners of late. In your presentation, presentation, you're really going to zero in on sucralose. And so it's funny how people turn to these artificial sweeteners, zero calorie sweeteners, and they think that it's really a solution to lose weight because there's no calories. But some of the research that you've pulled that you're going to be talking about show, well, hey, wait a minute here. These zero calorie sweeteners really aren't that sweet ticket to weight loss that we think. Well, I mean, it doesn't take much, you know, uh, we just got back from a family trip to Disney and, uh, you know, you see everybody there with the sort of gallon size soda and some of which is <laughs> diet soda uh, and they're not small people. And so at the end of the day, the perfect beverage for human consumption remains water and maybe with a close second with unsweetened tea or unsweetened coffee. And that's it, really. Um, and so this study was on sucralose, uh, commonly known as Splenda, uh, which shows that people actually are hungrier after they consume things that contain it. And there's been a whole slew of other research that's not even in this deck. Uh, that came out since on other artificial sweeteners. So I always tell people, um, do your best to really limit uh, or avoid artificial sweeteners. Besides some of the uh, weight issues, some of them can be linked to cancer and so forth. You may have seen even uh, headlines yesterday that the WHO is calling some of the artificial sweeteners likely carcinogens, um, but then says you could probably consume them and you're probably going to be okay. I, I don't like that probably okay. Uh, you know, as my my good colleague, Dr. Kim Williams, who's probably been on your show a handful of times at this point says, you know, we're all gonna die. Most of us from heart disease. I just don't want it to be my fault. So. <laughs> I, that's such an interesting thing. It's like, you're probably going to be okay. To me, I kind of interpret something like that. And, and I guess this is just a philosophy on life, but it's like, you could probably smoke a cigarette or two and be okay, but nobody's gonna argue with you that the cigarette is healthy. You certainly wouldn't consider it to be a healthy practice. Why should we be looking at this or anything else any differently? Well, you know, you get it's I get such a kick out of this. So, um, you know, I'll say to some of our leadership here at the hospital, sort of tongue in cheek, you know, hey, we still have uh, some, thankfully, not very much uh, processed red meat being served in our cafeteria. Maybe we should add back the cigarette machines. 
Uh, you know, and everybody just sort of kind of growls at me and looks at me. But, you know, I always tell my patients, I'm like, look, at the end of the day, a, a pinch of cyanide or a pound of cyanide is still going to kill you. So why bother? And the truth is, we know now that the additive effects of bad lifestyle is really what gets people. So yes, you probably could get away with smoking a cigarette here or there in very, very infrequent uh, times. And it may not have a major effect on you. In fact, if we visit some parts of our planet that are high in air pollution, we may be having the equivalent of smoking a cigarette, if that makes sense. Um, but that said, uh, I would do your best to avoid it as much as you can. I think it's our cumulative risk and exposure to bad things that gets people ill. I would, I would think so. I would think so. It's never one particular thing, but for the sake of this interview, let's let's stay focused on that one particular thing being those little yellow packets of Splenda or sucralose here. Interesting study, the one that you're going to be talking about, where they took about 75 people or so, and they, they had them drink basically just sweetened uh, Splenda water. I mean, that's kind of the best way to do it. And then they uh, put them under uh, the MRI, and, and they checked their brain, and they were uh, seeing how everything reacted. And it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the sucralose actually kind of like suppress uh, some hormone levels that really the hormones that would say, hey, you know, you're full now, you're, you're satiated, you should stop eating. It actually suppressed those. And like, that's what causes those hunger cravings. Yeah, there's a, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I would say that this is probably an effect for the lot of different foods we eat. But I think when we eat sweet things in general, our body gets tricked and has a whole insulin ghrelin response, which is what that study was looking at. And it you know, it does, it interferes with our sati satiation, meaning we don't feel full. And so then we grab more, you know, I don't know about you, but if I'm ever traveling and I am forced to find a plant-based option because I didn't pack a lunch or didn't have time and I eat something that is a processed or refined carb, I'm hungry shortly thereafter. And I think the same thing is true for lots of sweetened things, whether they're sweetened with Splenda or others. So it's pretty eye-opening uh, to see that this study shows that the brain actually has a biochemical response uh, that makes us want to eat more. So. And uh, true or false in this study, didn't they also find that um, it, women had a, a little bit even stronger response than men here? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Some of the stats that are coming out about obesity are suggesting that uh, women actually will have a, a bigger or harder time with it in the years to come. And it's predicted that they uh, will have greater weight gains and body mass index increases. So this study shows that. And I wonder if some of the chemicals in our diet are contributing to that. Um, and I would just tell you a, a recent trip to Disney, as I mentioned, you know, something like one in 10 from my rough estimation, were very large people on scooters, electric scooters, because they couldn't ambulate very well because of their weight and comorbid conditions. So we are in some serious trouble if we don't make changes quickly. No doubt about it. You know, as we're talking about this too, you're talking about sweet, you're talking about sugar, and a lot of us in the coffee right now, I've got a black cup of coffee right here, but I think the majority of people are very quick to reach for the Splendid to put that in there or uh, regular sugar agave or goodness gracious, God knows we are like very quick to drop five, six, seven dollars on a caramel macchiato at uh, Starbucks. Uh, but coffee, as you said at the top, can be a very healthy beverage. I know this year in particular, there has also been a ton of research pointing to the health benefits of coffee. Yeah, you know, the more we look at coffee, the better it is. And remember, the quickest way to transform a two calorie per cup beverage into a 2000 calorie per cup uh, beverage is to put all the sweeteners, creamers, uh, dairy products, etc. in it, even some of the non dairy 
uh, sweeteners and non-dairy uh, creams and sugars and whatnot are also very caloric. So I tell people to drink it sort of the way it comes if you can, which is just a uh, black cup if you can do it. Maybe add a little bit of unsweetened soy or almond milk or something like that. But by and large, it, it, it continues to prove itself as a beneficial substance. Um, it's antioxidant rich. It's filled with all sorts of flavanols and other active compounds. And it seems to improve outcomes from a cardiovascular perspective. And you can actually get away with quite a few cups. There's been studies showing, you know, somewhere between three and seven cups a day. Now, seven cups a day for most people will make them really uh, jittery. Uh, so you don't need to drink that much. But, you know, feel free to indulge. Just don't ruin it uh, with the traditional sort of coffee shop favorites. <laughs> Is it uh, could you get those same type of benefits if you were drinking a decaffeinated cup of coffee or is there something to the caffeine itself as well here? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. In years past, I've put some slides in about decaffeinated. You know, something about the decaffeination process seems to make the coffee a little less healthful. And the reason for that is not entirely clear. There are some chemical additives and residues that remain. Um, you know, the antioxidants are still there. So if you truly, you know, want to have a decaf cup, I certainly won't interfere. Um, but I would say that in general, if you're if you're not bothered by caffeine, feel free. And I should point out for the um, listeners uh, that caffeinated beverages actually don't raise blood pressure if you drink coffee habitually. Meaning, if you drink coffee never, and then once in a while you have a giant, you know, three or four cup serving, you might feel jittery, your heart might race, your blood pressure might spike. But if you drink a little bit every day, it actually does not have that effect. There was even a study showing that it doesn't necessarily increase arrhythmia risk, which is really important because many of us have been told over the years that if you drink caffeine or coffee, um, you're going to get arrhythmias. And it turns out that may not be true. So what I would tell people is, you know, test the waters. And then if you do decide to drink it, um, drink it regularly or skip it altogether. Yeah, let's look at some of these studies that you are going to be talking about at the conference here. This one jumped off the screen at me. Uh, you're going to be talking about one where close to 400,000 people without a known risk for any sort of cardiovascular disease uh, tracked their coffee consumption habits. Those who had two to three cups a day, so certainly not the seven, uh, but two to three cups had a 10 to 15 percent lower risk of developing uh, coronary heart disease, heart failure, arrhythmia, which you were just talking about and as well as uh, that all-cause mortality. That's two to three cups of coffee a day. Again, not talking caramel macchiatos here. Yeah, just plain coffee. And, you know, there's something special about this because, again, this has been shown probably in dozens of studies at this point uh, across the world, I might add. Um, so there's something special about coffee that seems good. And there may be some associated health behaviors. You know, you could argue that if you're drinking a couple cups of coffee, your social network might be pretty good if you're having it with other people. Uh, maybe you're getting up early and you're exercising uh, and need that coffee to get through the day to work. And, you know, so there's so many other things. But in general, coffee consumption seems, seems to be positive. You know, and another one that I found was pretty interesting was uh, among people who already had some sort of uh, arrhythmia or atrial fibrillation here. Um, big study of uh, I think over 30,000 people, about 24,000 or so had AFib. Um, but what they found was those who, again, consumed the coffee actually had a lower risk of dying despite the fact that they already had AFib of dying of an AFib-related event. I mean, that goes back to what it was you were saying earlier is like, as long as it's not that mega ultra huge dose of coffee that if you're not a regular coffee drinker, it's not really going to like have that same kind of effect on you. That's fascinating to me and kind of very counter to what it is that we have been taught for so many years. 
Yeah. And I would say that just even in clinical practice, I think that, um, you know, you're always going to come across somebody who's quite sensitive to coffee and doesn't feel good when they drink it. I don't recommend those people drink it. But by and large, um, if you're not very sensitive to it, um, you know, again, feel free to indulge. The, the positives are pretty powerful. So, you know, just stay away from the artificial, chemically processed versions of whatever it is you're going after. And what do we know, by the way, about the risk of coffee and cancer? Because I know that there was some interesting research that came out this year about that as well. Yeah, I think in general that there's um, a lot less bad outcome when people drink coffee. So, you know, I usually tell people that if they can get away with it, the benefits are probably more than cardiovascular. Um, and so, you know, the, if you look at overall death rates, as an example, from whatever cause, they're less and people that drink coffee. And there's been studies in the years past about reductions in things like colon cancer and other types of cancer. So in general, like I said, feel free to indulge, but try to be careful of the artificial stuff that gets added. All right. So we've got sweeteners, we've got coffee. Let's switch over and talk about dairy. Dairy too has also been making a lot of headlines recently. There was a study that came out that showed that, uh, or purported to say that uh, a whole fat dairy diet is actually protective for a person's health. That was just out as we record this within the last couple of weeks. But by and large, the literature also that's come out earlier this year is really counter to that message. What have we learned that's new regarding dairy and the risk of heart disease and cancer and all of these leading causes of death? Yeah. So I should point out for the listeners who haven't heard me talk, I mean, think about this. We are the only species on the planet that drinks another animal's mother's milk. So think about how strange that is. Now, yes, if you live in a very remote part of the planet that can't grow fruit or vegetables, and that's all you got, yes, that's what you have to do. But lots of studies um, in general, the totality of evidence would suggest that dairy is probably much more harmful than we think. And it's one of the more inflammatory foods that has all sorts of associations with cancer, autoimmune disease, and heart disease. Remember that the full fat dairy that was purported to be healthy in the study is actually the number one source of saturated fat, which clogs arteries in the United States. So in general, I usually tell people to avoid it and really avoid it if they can. You know, anywhere you go these days, there's dairy in the foods we eat. They're in the breads that come out in restaurants. They're, you know, there's cheese to be added to virtually every dish. Um, you know, you, you start looking in the grocery store and they've added milk fat or whey or butter or oil, butter oil or whatever it may be into the foods. And so it's been woven into our, our, our sort of food in some very hidden ways. And it seems to be quite harmful. And studies that were done in the last couple of years, again, continue to show that there's linkages between dairy and breast cancer and prostate cancer. So in general, I usually tell people to really avoid it. Uh, and I think that it is a total sort of error in our ways to say that that full fat dairy is healthful because it really isn't. Yeah. And, and one of the studies in particular that you're going to be talking about, too, is a pretty big one out of Japan. Twenty six thousand participants in this one, uh, the Japan Collaborative Cohort Study. 37% higher risk of developing prostate cancer uh, for those who were really heavy dairy consumers versus those who really didn't have a lot of milk or cheese in their diet. I mean, 37% risk. Huge. That's big, man. Yeah, it's huge. And it's scary. I mean, remember that most of Asia was not a dairy consuming part of the world for a long period of time. 
And, you know, the truth is the prostate cancer, breast cancer risk from dairy has been known for a really long time. I mean, what does milk do? Well, milk is designed to turn a baby calf into a giant cow in six months, i.e. growth. And what is cancer? Cancer is uncontrolled growth. So there must be something in the dairy products that is triggering this uncontrolled growth in parts of our bodies that are susceptible. So I tell people to do their best to absolutely avoid um, dairy whenever possible. I can't tell you, Chuck, how many people I take care of who have breast cancer or are prostate cancer survivors, and they are consuming dairy every day. I mean, that's mm. like Superman eating kryptonite. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, look, let's quantify this a little bit more. Here we have another study that just was released. More than a half a million participants, a half a million here, participants in China tracked them for 11 years. And we're not talking about mega doses of dairy for this at all. We're talking about 50 grams, which as you point out in your presentation, that's just a quarter of a cup of milk. That's it. One quarter of one cup. Overall cancer, 7% greater risk. Liver cancer in particular, 12% greater risk. Breast cancer among women, 17% higher risk. And again, all we're talking about is a quarter cup of milk. If you go to any coffee shop and you order any sort of uh, drink that would have cream or even just and you want to leave a little room for milk at the top, yeah, that's that's going to be that quarter cup. So every single time you go to Starbucks, essentially, you get that with the with the with the milk here. Would I be wrong in saying, well, there's your seven percent risk of cancer. There's your 12 percent liver cancer risk. There's your 17 percent breast cancer risk. Am I wrong in, in seeing it that way? No, I mean, you know, you could you could get confounded in that the coffee may be enough of an antioxidant load to cancel out some of the dairy, but I, I, that hasn't been shown. But I guess what I would tell you is you're spot on that if you were to tell people, oh, I don't drink milk or I don't eat dairy, if you were to carefully analyze their diets, the patients every time are just blown away by how much dairy they actually consume. It is truly in everything. And you have to be on the lookout for it because it can easily get into your diet without you even realizing it. But yes, it is a scary risk. You know, if you look at this very large study, right, it's a huge amount of patients and it's a very small amount of dairy. And patients are like, well, I only want a splash of this or I only want a splash of that. And the truth is some of the dairy products that get added to, to coffee, as an example, also contain trans fats, which are very associated with heart disease. So I would just tell you that in general, um, staying away from dairy and creamers and all these kind of things is really important. And also, correct me if I'm wrong here, but with cheese being as concentrated of a dairy food as it gets, I don't think it would be a whole lot to get those 50 grams or a quarter cup of milk in cheese at all. I mean, are we talking like about a slice of cheddar? Would that be the equivalent here? Yeah, I mean, it depends on how thick you make it. But yeah, I mean, you know, I always tell people a gram is roughly the weight of a paper clip. So if you can put 50 paper clips together, which when you bind them together, it looks like a little stack of coins. It's like a little cheese cube. It's really not very much. So, you know, just beware. It is mind blowing how much cheese is in our diet. All right. So we've got dairy being on the negative side, but then let's get some good news out there. Let's switch over to nuts, which unlike dairy have actually shown to have some really protective cancer fighting benefits here. What do we know about the latest research on nuts and cancer risk? Yeah, so it should be, you know, um, mentioned that nuts, as you probably are aware, in the plant-based world are a little controversial. And some nuts are called nuts, but are actually legumes. Um, so, but what I would say is that in general, nuts in smaller quantities have always been shown to be largely helpful. 
And even if you push my good friend and colleague, Dr. Esselstyn and others, you know, he'd let you have a few walnut halves in a day, believe it or not. Uh, but that said, um, yes, nuts appear to be helpful. There's been data shown over the years, um, you know, even with like one Brazil nut a week that it can lower cholesterol. And there seems to be something helpful about nuts and seeds and cancer. So I guess what I would say is in general, um, consume them, but be wary. They're highly, highly, highly caloric. I always tell people that the worst thing that ever got invented was shelled pistachio nuts, right? The pistachio is a delicious and tasty and healthful nut, and the shell is designed to slow you down. And so if you get a big bag of shelled pistachio nuts, it's easy to eat too much and get a big caloric load. <laughs> it's funny. I was just taking the train down from New York back to the home studio outside of Washington, D.C. yesterday and uh, went to order just a cup of fruit on the train and uh, they did not have any of that that particular day but they did have the bag of nuts and it's it wasn't like one of those small bags either like it was a pretty good like size of my my hand here uh bag of pistachios and you look at that it's like two to three servings of nuts per bag and there's a lot of fat and calories in there. It is hard for us though, Doc, the way that I think that we're just wired as human beings to control how many of those nuts that we eat at a particular time, especially as you said, if they've already been shelled for us, it just makes it so much easier. And as the great Will Ferrell said in the movie Old School, once it hits your lips, it's so good. It's so good. Well, it's true. And of course, you know, most of these nuts come salted and some of them are oiled and salted. So you really get something that's decadently delicious. So use nuts as a treat. I mean, if you go back in time and maybe you remember this, Chuck, when you were a kid, you know, when you had a dessert that had some sort of nut on it, it was a dessert. It was decadent. And now I feel like many people, you know, are consuming jars of nuts every week. It's just it's probably too much. That said, they are healthful. Just don't overdo it. And with this particular study, and, and we'll move on to something else, I really want to get into just some extraordinary uh, research that's been published also on uh, healthcare spending in this country. I mean, it is just, uh, it's hard to even comprehend those numbers. But let's put a bow on, on the nuts here really quickly before we move on. Uh, this study looking at breast cancer survivors in particular, about 3,500 of them, the Shanghai Breast Cancer Survival Study followed these women for about eight years, uh, found that those who uh, ate uh, more nuts in improve their overall survival by 5% or more and disease-free survival rates by 8% or more. So definitely some benefits there. But again, word of caution, we're not talking about eating that entire jar of peanuts. I think the way that it's really been said a few times on the show is about, you know, fit it into the palm of your hand and call it good. Use it as a salad topping as opposed to the entree itself. Yes. Yeah. Uh, healthcare spending, man, this is always a big one. And it seems like every year the numbers keep going up and up and up and up. But now some research has come out that's really been able to peg it. And as a matter of fact, the term that was thrown out there was we have reached for a lot of people catastrophic spending in terms of the amount that's being spent on healthcare every single month. What do we know as far as the cost of healthcare? And can you elaborate a little bit on this catastrophic spending for us? Yeah. So for clarity, I'm sure um, any of you who have health insurance uh, or even Medicare or whatever, and you go to the hospital, I mean, it's just insane what healthcare costs, what we bill, and then even what we pay. And so for many people, you know, they get quite ill, they have a heart attack, they have a stroke, um, and they're in the hospital for a while, sometimes even in the ICU, for the, to the tune of a couple hundred grand. 
And for the people that don't have good coverage or insurance, you know, their co-pays could be, uh, you know, many dozens of thousands of dollars. And so it's easy for people to go bankrupt. I mean, medical bankruptcy is a real thing. Catastrophic spending levels, people are trying to decide if they can afford their insulin or their food over, um, you know, uh, you know, they're trying to decide between the two, if that makes sense. So it gets really tricky for many people who are on a very fixed income and, and, and not bringing in large dollars in their everyday work or they're not working anymore. What do they buy? Do they buy meds or do they buy food? And I think, you know, wouldn't it be nice if food is medicine? Right? Mm. Yeah, I, what, what a concept here. What a concept. Um, by the way, the number of Americans that fall under the uh, catastrophic spending for healthcare right now, 1.2 million, according to this research. Um, and then we're talking about spending, get this, more than 40% of their family income on insulin if they're battling diabetes. 40%. Most people don't spend 40% on their rent or their mortgage. And this is going strictly to insulin every single month. On top of that, you have the rent. On top of that, you have the mortgage. On top of that, you have utilities. And oh, by the way, we haven't even gotten to the food bill yet. I mean, right. holy cow, for, that is a large nut to go back to what it was we were just talking about. It is. And actually, I would argue in many of the cities that we all live in, people are spending 40 and 50% of their income on housing, um, which is an incredible. So we're in a, an interesting you know, part of our time, if you will, where costs have risen for virtually everything, including healthcare and medicines. Fortunately, many states, uh, as you may know, Chuck, have passed legislation to cap the costs on insulin in particular. But it's interesting because if you follow these people who are on large amounts of insulin, have bad raging diabetes, they're also spending large amounts of their food dollars on highly processed, ultra-processed foods, which may make diabetes worse. Right. So it's a win for the food companies. It's a win for the medical providers. And it's a loss for the patients. Absolutely. Um, and let's uh, grab a couple of more here before we wrap things up. Um, another slide that will be in your presentation also stood out to me here. It's called Eat Plants, Take Less Meds. You kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. I thought that this was absolutely just mind blowing. 328 participants, 60 years or older, uh, really showed that if a person is eating a vegan diet here, they reduced the number of pills they were taking by close to 60%. That's big. It is. I mean, think about this. The pill burden these days is insane. You know, I talk to my colleagues about this a lot, but gone are the days when we see people who have just high blood pressure or just high cholesterol or just a heart attack, right? People have diabetes and sleep apnea, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, some form of cancer. And so, you know, their med list is humongous and very expensive. And so reducing pill burden is one of the best things I get to do every day in clinic, right? When somebody comes in and says, doc, my blood pressure is hundred. Can I get off of these blood pressure pills? Of course they can. And that's what we're after. And with a, a good lifestyle, exercise, diet, uh, low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diets. The results are extraordinary. And we're just starting to see this uh, in a mass scale. So my hope is those scales keep tipping and more and more docs get more and more enlightened uh, over time. So, And let's end with the biggest number that will be in this presentation. This, to me, is almost uncomprehendable. Medically tailored meals could save the U.S. nearly $13.6 billion dollars every single year. 13.6 billion. And what doc is the definition of a medically tailored meal in this case? 
Well, think about this, right? We are very willing to prescribe pills to people, no matter what the cost is, right? Some of these fancy new diabetes and weight loss pills, you know, can cost ten to $40,000 a year. But imagine what I could do if I could provide someone with a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based, portion-controlled meal um, for ten grand. I could probably give them a whole year's worth of meals, or maybe even several people a whole year's worth of meals. You know, remember that beans and rice and squash and whatever are not expensive foods, so imagine if I would prescribe them true diet and give it to them, uh, how much we could save on costs. So, I mean, think about that for a second, how weird that would be. Imagine you go to your doctor and you don't leave with a pill or you don't go to the pharmacy, but you go right to a you know food distribution center and pick up a week's worth of meals that are completely covered with no or limited copay. I mean, that would be earth shattering. Mm. And you know what? It's like you're saving all that money, you're probably feeling better, you're going to want to stick around a little bit longer too, because here's uh, the other big thing, and we will 100% end with this, you eat better, the studies continue to show, including this year, that if you eat that optimal diet, you can not just add a year or two to your life, but by and large, in a lot of cases, you can add a decade or longer. What do we know? What is the latest research showing in terms of longevity and healthy eating? Yeah, so there's a direct link. I mean, you know, I think that we know already from all the blue zone work that's been done, and, and uh, you've probably had Dan Butner and others on. But in general, when you live well, you live longer. And the goal isn't so much to live longer, but to be alive and well. And that's what these types of uh, lifestyles do. They enable people to hit those um, golden years, if you will, avoiding what I call the American curse, which is you work hard your whole life, you save your money, you retire, and what do you look forward to? heart attack, strokes, dementia, erectile dysfunction. It's a terrible way to retire. <laughs> and isn't it nice to think about that if you were to eat better and change the environment you live in every day, that you could prolong your life and your quality of life so that you could do more, be more productive, be around for those grandkids or great grandkids. That's what we're after. And so getting a decade or more by eating better is just an amazing thing to think about. And they were able to go in there, these particular researchers, and, and quantify this. And they looked at, well, what would happen if you started to eat what they called an optimal diet at the age of 20? And it found here that among women, uh, averages about 10.7 years. So really, the span was about 8.4 to 12.3 years for all of women. And for men, I mean, you're talking like 13 years, anywhere from 9.4 to 14.3. That is that's a lot of bonus time. That is a Ooh. lot, a lot of bonus time. Totally. It's a decade or more, which is just amazing. And I think, you know, we need to hear this type of data. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I see people say, well, I'm not going to listen, doc. I'm going to eat poorly. And then they end up not dead, but disabled. So they're alive, but unwell. And that's a terrible way to be. Oh, man. Look, there's so much more research that we could get into here, but we're going to save it because we definitely want people to come see you at ICNM, the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, August 10th through 12th in Washington, D.C. Man, I cannot wait for your presentation. Thank you for really compacting everything and, and putting it together in such a concise manner for us. I can't wait to see you unpack it some more. I know that you're also going to go into ultra-processed foods, the latest data there, big-time promising findings in terms of reducing the risk of dementia. We're going to be looking at children and healthy eating, the long-term effects that that can have. There are so many different things. And man, like yours is one where I'm going to sneak away from the broadcast table and I'm going to come <laughs> just like sit in the back and sit under your, your learning tree a little bit more, man. I just can't wait to see you. 
Yeah, the evidence continues to be overwhelming. And I guess what I would leave everybody with is living well, eating well, does wonders for health in every category. So why are we not all doing it? I don't know. That's a fine question to ask. Ponder it as you go and get your tickets, pcrm.org slash ICNM. And while you're on the web, head over to Twitter. Give my man, Dr. Freeman, a follow there at HeartCureDoc. My friend, thank you so very much for making the time. We will see you soon. My pleasure. Thank you. I don't know if Twitter is still going to be called Twitter or if it's just going to be called X now. I just don't know. But what I do know is that Dr. Freeman's handle at HeartCureDoc still works no matter what that particular platform is going to be called now. So give him a follow at HeartCureDoc. And his research that he's going to be presenting at ICNM is just the scratch of the surface. I mean, really, it is a three-day deep dive into so much amazing stuff. And Dr. Dean Ornish is also going to be speaking this year. Get a load of this lineup. Dr. Ornish, Dr. Michael Greger, Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. Garth Davis, Senator Cory Booker, will be there, as will Dr. Jim Loomis, Dr. Christy Funk, Dr. Jamie Kane, who will be coming up on the show very soon, and so many others. It's all coming up August 10th through 12th at the Grand Hyatt in Washington, D.C. Three days filled with amazing nutrition research and science and hope you cannot. You cannot forget about the hope that comes from this conference, and you're definitely not going to forget about the fantastic food that we're going to be serving as well. We would love to see you there. CME credits are available, so reserve your seat today. PCRM.org slash ICNM. You do not have to be a doctor or a dietitian or a nutritionist or anyone in the medical industry. We are going to be having so many Food for Life instructors show up there. So if you just have a keen interest in improving your health, this is the place to be. The International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, August 10th through 12th at the Grand Hyatt in Washington, D.C., pcrm.org slash ICNM to get your seats. And we've got a link for you to buy your tickets right now in the episode notes. Going to be doing some podcasting all three days as well. So it would be great to see you guys at the convention, meet you, say hi, shake your hand, grab a photo, and just talk about what it is that we've learned so we can all continue to raise our health IQs together. And we're going to have another presenter on this week's Exam Room Live, and that is the medical director for the Barnard Medical Center, Dr. Jim Loomis, also from the Doc and Chef fame, where they marry food and medicine together in one tasty punch. He and Chef Karen Dugan do it upright on the Doc and Chef, but Dr. Loomis is going to be with me on this week's Exam Room Live, and that is Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. Join us live there, or you can always catch the replay right back here on the podcast, First Thing Thursday. And if you haven't already done so, and you want to make the world a healthier place, easiest thing you can do is make sure that you've subscribed to the show on Apple Podcast and Spotify. And when you do that, leave a five-star rating as well and a nice review. 
every one of the new subscriptions, five-star ratings and nice reviews really does help to get this information to people who are curious, whether they be just plant curious or veg curious, or they just are looking for answers for their own health. We want to make sure that we can get them the answers that they are looking for. And those subscriptions, five-star reviews, and the nice things that you guys write about the show and your own health journeys makes a world of difference. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows, that's where you go to do that. And while you're tooling around in there, check out some of our past interviews, right? We just had this incredible show on Alzheimer's with Dr. Neil Barnard and Doug Evans, the Sprout Whiz, talking about the super health benefits that come from one of the world's most nutrition-dense superfoods, the Sprout. That was an incredible show. Also, Healing IBD the Natural Way with Dr. Robin Chutkin, Dr. Will Bolswitz, my boy. How many different foods do you need to eat every day to have a healthy diet? Well, we talked about that on the show not too long ago. Diversity in your diet is one of the best ways to take your health to the next level. So check out that episode as well when you get a chance. And we all raise our health IQs together and have a little bit of fun along the way as well. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Andrew Freeman for being here, raising our health IQs and sharing such exciting nutrition research for us. You know, we are just over halfway through 2023. There's still so much more to come, but you look at what's already out there. Man, that is mind blowing. I cannot wait to see what else is on the horizon. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.